And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in strips of cloth and laid him in an animal feeding trough because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields. These are who we're talking about today, guys. Today we're talking about them shepherds, all right? It's all about the shepherds. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields. What? Yo, no. What? Okay. Living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. You guys don't do that. You have barns, right? Like, come on. Modern farmers don't go camp out in the fields with their cows and with their sheep, do they, right? No. (laughs) You go to your bed and you bring them in. You ring a bell. You do whatever you need to do to get them cows to come in and you... If the, yeah, they'll, they'll, the sheep used to just come in at night. Yeah, why would I? I'm not going in there. I'm not sleeping in there. I'm sleeping in my bed. These guys are out there at night. I don't know. How many times have you slept outside at night? Do you think they even had a tent? Last night? This is already going to take less than two seconds because it's preaching time. Okay, continue. No tent. Under the stars. Were there sheep? Okay. There were cows. Oh, my goodness. See, that's what I'm talking about. And slept in the restroom. No, we didn't sleep. We tented Well, the story that I just told you did. Do you hear what I'm saying about these shepherds right now? This is a different lifestyle, isn't it? They are outside at night because somebody's got to keep the animals from getting stolen or killed. So they're there. And they don't have land that's close to their house, so they have to go where the grass is. They have to go where the land is. You just take them to where the, where the good land is to feed, to feed them, put them out to pasture, and you gotta, somebody's got to be with them. That's their job. Not a fun job. Remember that show, Dirty Jobs? These, these guys' job would be on that show. Okay, then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were... Filled with great fear, sore afraid, afraid. My translation says terrified. Terrified. Because apparently that's not normal. Like normally the only thing out there is just, you know, sheep and maybe a coyote you got to chase away. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid for see, I'm bringing you good news Of great joy for all the people. On Wednesday, I I got to sneak a recording, listen to what Amy said to the youth. And basically, uh, here's my my summary. If you ain't got great joy, you probably don't believe the good news. Maybe you ought to spend some time with Jesus. If you ain't got good fruit, you don't know Jesus. She was that strong with it. 
Because if you believe the Lord, you're going to have the fruit of the Lord. And if you spend much time with the Lord, you're going to learn to hear his voice and you're going to believe what he says. Your problem is not on his end and your problem's not life. Your problem is you don't know Jesus well enough yet. Yikes! She, I don't know if you felt the spanking, but I felt the spanking through the recording I listened to. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. To you. Man, come on. To you. To you, shepherds. To you, shepherds. To you, regular folk. To you guys. Not to the high and mighty. Not to the big important. Not to the centers of power. The angels don't go to the parliament. They don't go to the president. They don't go to the senate and the house. They don't go to city hall. They don't go to the rulers. They don't go to the authorities. They go to some shepherds. What's up with that? They go to just the little old people like you and me. Just the regular old people. Minding their own business. They weren't out there seeking God under the stars. They were just doing their job. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and laying in an animal feeding trough. What? And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly armies. I'm going to clarify because the way that we draw that as a painting is we always make them into a choir. We do. We're like, oh, the choir, the Methodist choir showed up. No, it doesn't even say they sang. It says they said, and the host means army. An army showed up, and they chanted in unison. Imagine if you were already terrified because of one angel, and then the rest of the army goes, ha, gotcha, and they suddenly are visible too, and they're all shouting in unison, glory to God in the highest, in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace among those on whom his favor rests. Uh, we get a little too generic and vague with that, don't we? A peace on earth. Peace for everyone now. Yay. That's not what it says. Peace for the people who find favor with God. Amen. Okay. Then it says, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go... What's the next word in your Bible? Let's go... And don't say the word now? Hmm, interesting. Hmm, interesting. Let's go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. Verse 16, what does yours say? What a shocking thing. God talked and then they did it. What? God said, go do this thing, go see the thing. And then they said, yes, sir. And they went and saw the thing. You think? You think that's convincing? I know people. It's not. We should still be shocked by their immediate obedience. Jesus himself could look you in the face and tell you something. And the next thing, the next thing you know, you're like, no, I agree with my depression and sadness and loneliness and self-pity instead. I know people. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. Sorry, I messed up. Lying in the animal feeding trough. 
And when they saw this, they made known what had been told them about the child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned and glorified and praised God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. So the focus today is just the shepherds, just the shepherds. Maybe next year we'll focus on somebody else. But I just want to make five quick observations about the shepherds. The first observation is after the angels, the angel made the announcement to them about Jesus, after it was revealed to them, truth about Jesus, the first thing I noticed, they talked to each other about what God had said to them. Number one, point number one, they talked to each other about what God had said to them. You say, why is that significant? Well, you talk about what's important to you. I I can tell when you're in love with Jesus because you talk about him. I can tell when you're in love with something else because you talk about it. People can't help but talk about what they're thinking about. People can't help but talk about what their heart's set on. People can't help but talk about what they're processing, what they're thinking, what they're feeling. Whatever gets your heart, gets your attention, becomes big in your understanding, it ends up coming out of your mouth. They talked to each other about what God had said to them. There's a little verse in the end of Malachi, Malachi chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It says, And those who revered God spoke with one another about the Lord, and the Lord took notice. Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord took notice. He took notice of what? Malachi 3, 16, 17. The Lord took notice that, that, that people who had re- decided to revere God were talking to each other. They were going, how do we serve the Lord? How do we be faithful to God in this time, in this hour, in this generation, in this season of life? How do we be faithful with our kids? How do we be faithful with our finances? How do we be faithful with our dreams and our desires and our struggles with sin and our hopes? How do we, how do we be faithful with these relationships and our jobs, all the stuff that we have to do with? How do we be faithful? We want to know Jesus. We want to make him known. We're having, how do we do this, you guys? How do we be faithful? How do we remember him and keep him the main thing? How do we live the reason we're here on planet Earth for And God's watching and going, they mean this. They're trying to figure out what it looks like. They're trying to live their life well. They're not phoning it in. They're actually awake. And and it says, a scroll of remembrance was written. And they were set aside to be protected in the great judgment that's coming. And then the whole end of the book of Malachi is talking about the coming of Jesus. It matters that those who decided they would reverence the Lord got together and talked. So I'm just noticing that. First thing they did, whoa, what in the world? They talked to each other about what God had just said to them. Part of it has got to be like they're going, now what, dude? If you're like me, you don't know what you think until you talk it out with somebody. Are you guys like that? Some of you, the opposite. Some of you don't know what you think until you go away and be alone and process quietly inside yourself. That's not me. I process loudly even when I'm by myself. I talk out loud, even when I'm alone. So either I look very mentally ill or that's my version of health. I don't know. There's me walking outside in the woods, walking outside down Seaford, down by the tennis courts, talking out loud to God. 
working out my thoughts and feelings. Because I don't know what I think until I say it and then go, no, that's not right. And then edit it and start with something emotional and vague and weird and go, no, that ain't it. Number one, they talk to each other. Number two, when God spoke to them, number two, they took action. They took action. They did something. They took action. They took immediate action. Angel shows up. Hey, go see this thing. They go, oh my word, did you hear what he said? Yeah, I guess we should do it. I've had other people be a great help to me on this. And this is part of why it's important to talk to other people about what you hear God say. Because it's so easy to take what you hear God say and treat it like, I don't know, maybe. I think he said it, but I don't know. But when you start to talk with each other about what are we supposed to do with this, it holds us accountable to not just be hearers of the word. So they talked to each other, number one. And number two, they took immediate action. What's number two? They took immediate action. And you go, well, yeah, of course they took immediate action. It was an angel and an army. You know, if I had angels with spears chanting in unison, I'd probably be like, okay. But I'm telling you, remember the Lazarus, uh, the, the rich, man Lazar- rich man Lazarus story where he says, hey, no, no, warn, go warn my brothers so they don't end up in this terrible place. And his, the, what he's told is, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't believe even if, an, even if someone rises from the dead. The crazy thing is, Jesus himself came down from heaven, did miracles in tons of cities. And you hear Jesus say things like, woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Chorazin. If the miracles done in you would have been done in Sodom and Gomorrah. Have you read that account? That's, I just read Genesis 18 the other week. It's gross. Not a fun read. Like some of, the, some of the judgments of God I know are not allowed to like, we're not supposed to in the modern world appreciate that God's able to be a good and righteous judge who is allowed to punish wickedness. But it seemed like the right thing to do when I read it. Those people were wicked. They showed up ready to rape his guests, Lot's guests. Oh, he saw there were new guys here. Let's rape them. Have you read the Bible? It's not rated PG or even PG-13. I remember when I first came to this church, somebody was like, are Christians allowed to watch rated R movies? And I was like, first of all, I don't know why you're asking me my opinion. It's not like you're going to stand before me on Judgment Day. But second of all, your Bible's rated R. Are you allowed to read that? You're going to need to grow up in your understanding a little here, buddy. Anyway, I was not quite that rude when I responded, but... Just because it says people did it doesn't mean it's affirming the behavior. And just because a movie depicts it doesn't mean the movie is trying to glorify the bad behavior any more than the Bible is. But moving right along. There's certain parts of the Bible that maybe little kids shouldn't be quite reading yet. But, uh, okay. My point is this. Jesus said Sodom and Gomorrah would have repented if he had done the miracles he did in Chorazin and Bethsaida in those cities. So I get really annoyed when people act like everything in life's inevitable. Well, of course they went and, and, and saw. And it was angels who showed up. And I'm like, they ain't no guarantees. 
The Israelites saw the miracles in the wilderness and they still managed to be rebellious their whole life. Man on the ground every morning, still upset. Water coming out of a rock, still mad. God proves Moses is the guy, still mad at him. Who does he think he is? I'm just saying, I'm, I don't like the idea that everything's inevitable. What's inevitable that E is going to equal MC squared and we're going to figure out how to do the nuclear bomb? It was inevitable that we're going to make computers. It was inevitable the Jews would be murdered. It was inevitable that India would be freed by Gandhi from the British colonial imperialism. It's inevitable. Everything's inevitable. It's inevitable women are going to get the right to vote. It's inevitable civil rights are going to be passed. Y'all, that's so dark. That's such a broken worldview. Yeah. Nothing's inevitable except death and taxes. Shh. It, what it does is it, it, it undermines the value and the significance of the heroic sacrificial choices of people who do the hard right thing, that inevitable worldview. And it, and it undermines the significance of blameworthy, wicked behavior that people could have not done, that they chose to do. I don't like the worldview of inevitability. I hate it, actually. Because your choices matter. And they didn't have to be faithful to this. And it's not a guarantee that if God shines a light bright enough, they're going to run and obey. It's not a guarantee. Because if you and I are honest, the light shining in our heart is just as bright as theirs. If not brighter. It's sneaky ways we excuse ourselves is to inevitability. I couldn't have done any better with my life. And they couldn't have done any worse with their life. Bro. That's such a broken way of dodging responsibility and awe and wonder. There's some people who we need to hug for their heroism, and there's some people God going to spank for our sin because not, it's not inevitable. Our choices matter. I went off a little long on that. So they go, let's go now and see. They took immediate action. They went, it says, with haste. They're in a hurry. Are you in a hurry? There's hurry that comes from worry, and then there's hurry that comes from zeal. The hurry that comes from worry, we're supposed to repent of and not be in that hurry. But there's a hurry that comes from zeal. And if you're lethargic and lazy about the things of Jesus, that is not good. Casual Christian, just casual, savior of the world, is born this day. I don't know. Maybe we'll get over there later if I feel like it. I was thinking of a whole lot of nothing really would be better, but I can't tell y'all that. I mean, what, can, what, what, what excuse? I'm busy. That's a nice excuse, right? I'm busy. Busy with what? So this number two is they took immediate action. They went with haste. They went where God said he was showing up and they checked for themselves. That's number three. Number three, they checked for themselves. They actually went where God said he was moving and they saw for themselves. They didn't just hear, they saw for themselves. They put their heart in a position to prove what God had said is true. The whole Bible's like that, guys. Every word from God is like that. It requires us to arrange ourselves so that our life can then prove what God said is true. It's not a theory. It's an instruction to bear fruit in our life, right? 
So number one, they talked about it to each other. Number two, they took immediate action. Number three, they checked for themselves. They went where God said he was showing up. They checked for themselves. Well, I heard that somebody so posted on the faith, and I saw that he said that she was quoting the science, uh, uh, scientists say, scientists say, which ones? What studies? Well, you, my pastor told me, who's he? How about you check for yourself? How about you line up with the word of God and prove and see and hear for yourself that it is what he said, that it's like he said, that it works how he said. Are you with me? Yeah, but the, I saw there's a report that, what? Well, the most popular theory right now is, <laughs> go and see. Let's go see. Let's go see. We heard, now let's go see. It's kind of like if Jesus says, heal the sick, and we go, well, he said we could heal the sick. Let's have an argument over the theology of it. Or you could go try and see. Because then if you get a whole bunch of miracles, then, then, then in the conversation about the theology of it, you're no longer swayed by who sounds smarter than you. When I don't go and see for myself, I'm at the mercy of people, whoever's, whoever's best at the game called words. Some people are just really good at the game called words, words, just arranging the words to sound smart. Right In seminary, I heard lots of wonderful theories with really big words, really smart people, geniuses. Brilliant ways of saying that Jesus is dead and idiots would believe it was real. But we should still go to church. I'm serious. The German higher critics saying things like, in an age of electric, uh, wireless, and uh, electricity, and uh, computers... People believing in the resurrection from the dead is just silly and primitive. And I'm like, you must not know him real well. (laughs) He talked to me today. Yeah, he seems alive to me. Yeah. Let's go see for ourselves. Let's go check for ourselves. Let's talk to each other about it. Let's take immediate action. Let's go check for ourselves. Number four. When they came back, they made known everything they had seen and heard. They, again, you can't help but talk about what's biggest in your heart. What's big and important to you is what you're talking about, period. All I got to do is sit with you and ask a few simple questions and let you ramble at the mouth and I'll figure out what matters to you. We'll see what's going on in your life, unless you're a real closed book. And then maybe I need to build some bridges of trust with you and then, then maybe you'll open up. But I'm saying if people dump, you find out what matters to them. These guys... And they're not lawyers, they're witnesses, right? We've been over this. Jesus has never called any of us to be his lawyers. Go be smarter than them and win the argument for me. You know, go prove that they're dumb and you're right because we got God on our team and he's big and cool and they're dumb and small. That's not helpful. How are you going to argue someone into the kingdom? Like, how do you even argue someone into agreeing with you that a sandwich is tasty? That don't even make sense. But I bet if you eat it in front of them and they see your face, they might be like, oh, uh, can I have some of that? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Don't mind me. I'll just be loudly slurching on this sandwich and, ma- and making noises like this. Mm. Oh. 
Are you going to eat all that, though? You want to maybe just... And then I got you because, ha-ha, it was an actually vegan Impossible Burger. Ha-ha. Have you ever had one of them and it was as good as beef? Me neither. Great. Good talk. Sorry, cows. We love you. They made known what they had seen and heard. We are called to bear witness to what we've seen and heard. I don't care if you, you hardly know Jesus. I don't care if you've known Jesus a long time. Whatever little bit of the Lord you really do know, even if it's a, feel like, you feel like it's just a little bit, you are 100% qualified to give away the little bit you know. Every one of us is qualified to be a witness for Jesus. And that doesn't mean going around passing out tracts and telling people that they're naughty, dirty sinners. It means giving people a little bit of the beauty of that God's given us. Hey, I, you know, like for example, once you know you're loved, you can tell people you're really loved. And once you've experienced grace and mercy in the points where, you're sin, where you've sinned and you're like, oh man, I need help. Now you're qualified to give them grace and mercy where they sin and they need help. When God loves on you in your loneliness and in your depression, now you're qualified to say, hey, I know someone who loves you in your loneliness and in your depression. When you feel really alone and he comes in with his presence and he gives you a promise, now you're able to give that promise to someone else when you perceive that they're lonely and they need that word. We've turned the idea of being witnesses into like trying to get people to pray a prayer to go to heaven. Instead of being actual witnesses of saying, I got to tell you what I've experienced, what I've seen and heard. Like there's life. We were made for more. Sometimes what we do is we reduce mission down to getting souls saved forever. I'm like, dude, you're making God look dumb. You're making it look like, like he's a calculator with only two buttons, heaven and hell. When actually the gospel is about life. It's about an incredibly intelligent and wise and warm and like all the stuff that makes life worth living reflects really, really well on who he is. Faith is about living with a sense of awe and wonder and that every day and every moment is, I don't want to use the word magic because Christians aren't supposed to say the word magic for whatever reason, even though C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and all those guys use the word magic constantly because it's the best word to describe what it is we believe. It's the glory. Like heaven and earth are filled with God's glory. This whole place, as terrible as it is, as wonderful as it is, the good and the bad all mixed in are just like... I heard somebody say the Christian view of the universe is that everything is almost like bristling with an electrical current. And the electrical current it's bristling with is the glory of God. Why would you reduce that down to, I need to tell you about my Savior, you're a sinner, Jesus died for you so that you could avoid the angry, hellish wrath of God. Now pray this prayer quick and never go to church again or change, but now you have insurance. Good to know you. And now I checked a little box in my heart that said I did my job today. <laughs> and they're the same as before, except now they feel some kind of weird interaction just happened where they weren't even seen as a person and they certainly don't know God better. Yeah. No, we're called to bear witness to what we've seen and heard. You know, like I love how Dan Moeller says, you pray for the sick and then, and because they matter, because people matter. Oh, hey, how you doing? He's at the gas pump. He sees somebody's struggling and they look in pain. Can I just pray for you real quick? 
And then, and then Dan has people say to him, you prayed for them and God healed them and you didn't even lead them in a sinner's prayer. You wasted that whole opportunity. And he goes, you, um, wait a minute. I gave them an encounter with the Lord. That encounter with the Lord is going to go with them and mess with them. And it will continue to witness to them and speak to them. But you have to have me jumping through your man-made invented hoops. All right, I'm going off a little bit on this. But the point is, they made known what they had seen and heard. They didn't follow a formula handed to them by some religious obligations. They talked to people about their own knowledge of God. Not something they read in a book. What they had seen and heard. Are you guys okay? And then finally, number five. So I'll read them again. They talked to each other about it. They took immediate action. They they went and checked for themselves. They then made known what they saw and heard. They were witnesses. They gave away whatever God gave them. That's true of your prophetic words. That's true of the verses that as you're reading, the Holy Spirit just highlights and then you mark them and then you meditate on them and you go, oh my word, that's amazing. Look what I found in here. That's good stuff. And then you have the weirdo who's like, it's all good stuff in there. The whole thing is good. How, could, how dare you highlight that one verse like it's more important? Oh my word, religion's annoying. Can you go away? And then the fifth thing. You know what I'm talking about? So annoying. This one's special to me. The Holy Spirit breathed it on me. Back off, weirdo. I'm trying to have a relationship with God. Not follow rules. Go back to Pharisee village. And then finally, they glorified and praised God. It says they went back to their, their homes and they were just like worshiping. They were in a state of worship. Guys, have you kept the wonder? Are you still worshiping? Do you get on your face? Do you get on your knees physically? Do you still do this? I'm not going to say show of hands, but... When no one's around, do you get on your knees? Are you still thankful? Do you express that? Do you intentionally cultivate getting physically on your knees when no one's around and bowing down when it's just you and Jesus and thanking him that, you, that he is your friend, that he saved you, that he gave you life, that he's with you, that he's walking you through everything? Of, like the, you brought me this far, God. The God I've come to know is the God I know now and the God I will know forever. Oh, my word. You know, how many, you know how God reveals himself throughout the whole Bible? I am the Lord who, and fill in the blank with what he did for you. I am the Lord who rescued you out of the land of Egypt, that iron smelting furnace. I am the Lord your God who called you out of Ur of the Chaldees, Abraham. Walk before, before me and be blameless. I am the Lord your God who pulled you out of drug addiction. I am the Lord of God, the Lord your God, who named you my child when your parents rejected you. <sighs> I am the Lord God who is always with you and have never abandoned you, no matter what friends did. <sighs> yes. There's a history we have with God. You, you have a history with God. These little shepherds, these simple people, these regular old folks were the ones God chose to be his like mouthpiece to their little communities. Because with God, all people are just people. He's not impressed. <laughs> He's never impressed. Oh, look at my outfit and my car, and do you know who I am? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, says the Lord. I do know who you are. You don't, but I do. 
He humbles those who, who exalt themselves, and he exalts those who are humbled. With God, there's no little people or big people. There's just people. And these shepherds, they go back and they remember. They remember what God has done. And because they keep it in their mind, they're worshipers. They have cultivate worship as their normal. I, I, I really do think it's important what we do with our bodies when we pray. I remember going into a church where during the singing time, people were casually sitting. And some maybe were standing if they felt. Some people were sipping on coffee. And I was like, are we worshiping the holy God of the universe? Or are we chilling on a Saturday watching a golf tournament? Which, by the way, why would anyone ever watch a golf tournament? It's like if soccer were boringer. You know? Sorry, that's not a word. Sorry, soccer people. (laughs) With scorching scores like three to two. (laughs) Scores after six hours of play like one to zero. Okay, sorry, soccer. But are you hearing what I'm saying? Have you, have you ever thought to yourself, who are we, do we actually, are we, this is how we're going to treat the Lord, like the Lord. Let me just show you who the Lord is real quick. Just picture people sipping on their coffees, chilling out in their pews. They're padded pews, by the way. Really? My goodness. Then I turned to see whose voice it was who was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a long robe with a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white, whiter than wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining with full force. When I saw him, I sat down casually and drank my coffee thinking, it's a good day to be here in church. This feels like a really welcoming environment for seekers. Not against seeker churches at all, by the way, and I want us to be very welcoming, but let's, this is what he says. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I were dead. That seems appropriate. Unless we are blind and spiritually dull and really need to wake up. But he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living. I'm the living one. I was dead and see, I am alive forever. And I hold the keys of death and hell. So I said, Lord, what am I supposed to say to Gateway on Sunday? And he said, if you lost your zeal, get it back. Not they lost their zeal. He didn't, it wasn't a certainty. If you lost your zeal, get it back. That's what he said. That's what I believe God said to me, for us. If you lost your zeal, get it 
back. I was watching a hilarious video the other day. There's a resurgence among photographers to shoot film again. In the advent of digital sensors, why would you waste your money on film? It's expensive, it's messy, you gotta buy the chemicals, you gotta take it somewhere to have it developed. Well, I'll tell you why. Film can resolve like 175 megapixels of detail, and I don't have a camera that has a sensor like that. In other words, film is still better. But I was watching this, this guy shooting film, and he was all casual, and he goes, um, you do this if you want, or don't, because nothing matters and life is bullcrap. And then he just moved on with the video. And I was like, he said that because it was funny, but I felt he also meant it. He meant it, and it's his defense against the pain. Do this if you want, or don't, because nothing matters, and life is bullcrap. Only he didn't say crap, but you get what I'm saying. I find that really interesting. That's not, a, that's not and, and his attitude shows it, just sort of casual, phone it in, whatever, do this, do that, I don't know, except it's not. It's artistic and totally intentional. Every act of nonchalant, like looking like you don't care, was very carefully orchestrated, you know what I'm talking about, where it's like it's part of the cool act is to pretend like you're not trying, and you're actually trying really hard to act like you're not trying. It's a defense mechanism. It's super important for us to get our zeal back if we lost it. And what do I mean by zeal? Or maybe a better question, what does God mean by zeal? Does he mean try harder? Jesus is coming soon, act busy. My favorite bumper sticker. (laughs) I literally saw that on a car. Jesus is coming soon, look busy. Oh, yeah, I, was, I totally was doing everything I was called to do. He was looking at that and just running. That's not zeal, right? I, I, when I think of zeal, I think of, of someone who has kept their zest, kept their love for life, has kept their, their alertness, their awakeness. What if, what if one small way you could try to get back to your why? Because that's what we're talking about. Your zeal is you living with, with purpose, a meaningful life, and you're awake to it. You are aware of the meaning of your life. You have, a, you have a mission. And again, I don't mean a mission being like, just get people to pray a sinner's prayer and save them from hell. Guys, that's, the bar is so low on that. We're actually called to like a full life. A full life. What if one, if, 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 you, if you can find your mission, and I bet the word love should be in there somewhere. And you find a way to put your own sense of what am I on planet earth? What am I here for? Why? Why am I? Not just who am I? Why am I? I'll bet if we can live in that, the zeal part will be solved too. And I know that this might sound like a random piece of advice, but what if, even in your sadness, what if you made an effort to say, I'm going to smile and make eye contact with five people today? I'm going to genuinely smile and make eye contact with five people today. And I'm going to look them in the face, and I'm going to be genuinely happy to see them, and I'm going to let them feel my happiness to see them today. Because I'm here to love. That's my mission. I'm here to love. I know Jesus is love. His love doesn't change, even though my feelings change. 
So I know I'm here, to, I'm here to receive his love and I'm here to love. And just like my feelings go up and down even though his love doesn't change, my feelings for you might change, but I'm going to stay true to my target of love you. And part of the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to look you in the face and smile and genuinely go, good to see you. If you lost your zeal, get it back. I don't know nothing about it. I wasn't there. I didn't take a plate of food or see nothing. It was a ladies' party, so I was definitely not there stealing food at all. Fine, I took one plate, and then I hid in the office, and I ate it in a hurry before anyone caught me. Because I'm not a woman, so I'm not allowed to be there. If you lost your zeal, get it back. Them shepherds, they were just regular people, just regular people. But God talked to them. God met them. God encountered them, told them about Jesus. And they, they did. it's not inevitable you'll be faithful. You're not, a, you're not a byproduct of whatever happens to you. You actually have choices. And you can choose what God's, you can actually do what God's calling you to do, even if it's hard. And guess what? It's hard. Amen? Amen. You can do hard things. Let's just be real. There's stuff that we want to change in our life, the direction we're going or how we feel about ourselves or whatever, but we don't want to do the work because it's hard. And that's where, you know what, as we come down to the end of 2022, how do you want, are you happy with where you are spiritually? Do you feel like you've been hot? Like you've been like really, do you guys do this? Do you get like a word for the next year? So I was just sitting in my quiet time this morning, and um, I was like, oh, yeah, a word for 2023. I should think, and before I could even finish my thought, talking out loud of, oh, I should think about doing that, boom, go. And I was like, and I immediately thought of, go and make disciples of all the nations. But are you ready to do that? Are you ready to say, you know what, Lord, what, is, what, what do you want me to go after for 2023? I want to already know that 2023, I'm going to be on fire. I'm going to make the changes that I need to. I'm going to stop giving in to what's easy. And you know what? You may need help with it. And that's what we're here for as the body. So I hope you feel that way, that you've made some connections here or even outside of Gateway with people that are going to encourage you not like to stay where you are, but to move in the direction of Holy Spirit, what, where, who, show me, I'm going, all right, I'm done.